Habakkuk. If you're visiting with us this morning, this is our third um, message from the book of Habakkuk. It's in the Old Testament. It's one of the minor prophets. And feel free to look at the front of your Bible and find the page number. And that's okay if you don't know exactly where Habakkuk is. It's near the back half of the uh, Old Testament. And it's uh, just a a very small little book. That's why it's one of the minor prophets. It's three chapters. And we're going to continue this study, this series in Habakkuk this morning, in which I've entitled, God, I Have a Question. God, I have a question. And, and I think all of us would say, hey, God, I've got a question. Um, and Habakkuk's got a couple questions here, and God so graciously answers them. And I think the, uh, the questions that Habakkuk asks are the, some of the uh, most important questions we could ask. And a lot of times, it's the very questions we are asking God. And thankfully, God has an answer. The first answer to Habakkuk's question, he wasn't really excited about. Uh, he gets a lot more excited about the second answer to his, uh, to his second question, really. So... Uh, this morning, in our time, uh, the message is entitled, The Righteous Will Live by Faith. The Righteous Will Live by Faith. So let's pray and ask God to open our hearts again to his word. Lord, we thank you uh, for our time already this morning. We thank you for just now the reading of your word. And, um, and now, Lord, as we get to, to look at a little more in depth at a, a section of your word, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and you would open our minds. Uh, Lord, we all coming here with lots of things going on, things that happened this last week, and uh, things that even happened this morning that either have us troubled or distracted or discouraged, um, hopeful, or do you know where we are, so we pray you'd meet each of us individually, then corporately, uh, where we are, and make us more like Jesus through our time in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. But when someone asks you or says to you, not someone asks you, when somebody says to you, trust me, what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind? Trust me. And now it probably depends on who's saying that, right? Uh, I, I think it definitely depends on who's saying that. Have you ever played the, played the game Trust Fall? Remember played that game? If you played that game here, let me see your hand. Trust Fall. Okay, let me tell you the rest of you are what this crazy game's about. What you do, if you really want to play it the right way, some play, people play it kind of the wimpy way. They, 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 they stand up here, stand, I'm going to use you for an example, all right? Stand strong. So they, they do like this, and, and I just turn around like this, and then I just fall back, and I'm going to trust Stan to catch me. I knew he could, right? Thanks, Stan. Um, but that's kind of the wimpy way to play it, and not that you're a wimp, Stan, all right? The, the best way to play it is you stand on a table with your back to a few people. Now, I, I would probably trust Stan to catch me just by himself, all right? And you just fall back. It's called trust fall. And we did this in our youth group growing up. And I've done it with people. You do it with athletes. It gets kind of touchy. Because they're going to say, oh, see how tough this guy is. You know, back up. And so trust fall. And, and a lot of times, depending on the person on the ground, will you venture off that table? Wouldn't you agree? I mean, if I'm standing on the ta- table and um, McKaylee and Ember are going to catch me, I'm not coming off that table, all right? And they're probably not going to stand under there. They're going to back off real quick. And if you, McKaylee's my daughter, and Ember's Tyler Harden's the youngest daughter, and, and if they, they're not going to catch me. I can tell you that right now. Um, but your level of faith or your trust has a lot to do with the, not sometimes the ability, but even more so the character of the person saying they're going to catch you. Am I, am I right? It really does. 
I mean, I want somebody who's not going to step away. I'm not, I don't want the, the class clown back there. I want the guy that, that I know that I can trust in their character. They, if they say they're going to catch me, I know they're going to do everything they can to catch me. Well, consider the following story about a little boy named Todd. He was a three-year-old boy from Rhode Island, and he went down to, to the seacoast to fly his kite. He had never flown a kite before, three years old. Never having done this, he had obvious doubts. I wonder if this kite is going to fly. But his father assured him that all was well and the kite would go up just as they had planned. As Todd unraveled the string and watched the kite go up, he was heard to say, I knew it would fly, Daddy. You said it would. You see, Todd trusted the character of his daddy. His dad said so, and he believed it would happen because his dad said so. And obviously his dad had proved to be trustworthy in little Todd's life. He could trust his dad. If his dad said it, it would happen. Now I love that about kids. There's just a trust, isn't there? Our children, we say something's going to happen, they, they believe it's going to happen. And until we ruin that trust, they're going to believe it's going to happen. That's why you have kids, at least when I was growing up, they'd already, my dad's tougher than your dad. Oh yeah, I mean, my dad does this. I mean, you're just so proud. And you'd believe anything your dad said or your mom would say. Because you trusted them. His dad had proven himself. And many people in this room have placed their faith in other people. Only to be let down, right? And we probably could all attest to that. Uh, many people here in this room have placed your faith in your own abilities. Only to be let down. By yourself. And other people have placed their faith in certain circumstances. They've looked at the circumstances and they said, okay, because this, 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 and this, and this, then this is going to happen and I'm going to trust it's going to happen because of these circumstances. And guess what? We've been let down, haven't we? See, the reality is there's only one in whom you can completely put your faith and know for certain he will always come through. And that is the Lord God Almighty. We can always trust him, no matter what. And this is what Habakkuk needs to be reminded of in the midst of his dilemma. He needs to be reminded that the righteous live by faith. And so do we this morning. So as we begin to look here again at Habakkuk, let me just remind us of the outline of Habakkuk. It's real simple. Habakkuk's first question, we saw that. Second, God's answer is him. Habakkuk's second question, then in one twelve through 2.1, uh, and then God's second answer in, in the rest of chapter 2 and then chapter 3 is Habakkuk's prayer of praise. Now last week we looked at the first three. We looked at Habakkuk's first question, God's first answer, Habakkuk's sec second question. We kind of left Habakkuk hanging. Today we're going to deal with the fourth and we're going to deal with God's answer to that. And next week we'll look at the fifth part, Habakkuk's prayer of praise. Now remember that God promised that from the very beginning in Genesis 3 to bring a savior from sin through the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob ended up becoming known as Israel. And God will keep this promise no matter what. Even though the nation of Israel, the people he had chosen to carry out his name and his glory throughout all the earth, had continued to rebel against him. Uh, the setting of Habakkuk is, is during a reign of one of the last kings of uh, Judah, the southern kingdom called Jehoiakim. And uh, Jehoiakim was the son of Josiah. Just to remind us this, Josiah was one of the most godly kings in the southern kingdom. 
of Judah. Uh, did all these things to bring about reform. Uh, and then he had a son reign just for a few months. And then Jehoiakim reigned. And Jehoiakim reversed every good thing that Josiah had done. Uh, in fact, the wickedness of God's people was at an all-time high, as well as the worship of false gods during this time. During this time, Habakkuk is writing. Judah had rejected God and his ways. Uh, things are not good with the people that call God their God. And this is what Habakkuk's first question is all about in the first part of chapter 1, the first four verses. How long you put up with this, God? Do you see this evil? How long will this evil go on? How do you let this evil persist, God? And God answers him in verses 5 through 11 with something that caught Habakkuk off guard. Here, here it was. Judgment on Judah is coming, and it's coming from an unlikely source. It's coming from the Chaldeans or the Babylonians who are more evil even than the people in Judah at the time. Well, maybe not, as we saw how evil they were, but that was the perspective. Uh, this leads Habakkuk to ask his second question uh, and in verses 12 through 17 of chapter 1. And Habakkuk is having just a hard time reconciling God's character with the fact that God is going to use these evil people to bring about discipline in the life of the people of Judah, God's people. Habakkuk just doesn't get it. God, you're, you're just, you're holy. Sin can even enter your presence, and you're going to use these evil, mean people to bring about justice and discipline in, in the life of the nation of Judah? You're kidding. I don't get that. So what we, this is where we left off last week. What, what did Habakkuk do? Look at 2-1 with me. Notice what it says. Here's Habakkuk. He, he's good. God, I don't get it. I mean, you, you are surely just. You're righteous. You're almighty. All those things. But I do not get that. That you're going to use these people. Now in verse 1, one of chapter 2. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. And I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. And how I may reply when I am reproved. Habakkuk wisely steps back. Admits that there is a God. And he's not him. And he looks to God for the answer. God, I don't have the answer to this one. I don't get it at all, Lord. So I'm looking to you for the answer. And now Habakkuk is going to answer. I mean, God's going to back, answer Habakkuk's question. Uh, I asked him at the breakfast table this morning. We were kind of talking about this and reviewing. And, and I said, well, here's where we are. What do you think God's going to say to Habakkuk? We went around the table and talked a little bit about what do you think God's going to say to Habakkuk? We had some different answers. Some of them were really close to really, I think, what um, Habakkuk uh, hears from God. What do you think? What do you think he's going to say? How do you think he's going to answer his question? Lord, how can you use evil for good? And that's a question that many people are asking today. What, what do you, what, how do you think God's going to answer it? It may surprise you. Maybe it won't. But whatever it is, we've got to trust it. And this is kind of Habakkuk's stance now. I don't get it, God, so I'm here. You've got you to straighten me out on all this. So let's listen attentively, to, 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 attentively uh, and attentively to what Habakkuk has to say. So um, in, in these verses, verses 2 through 20 this morning, I'm going to work down through th th these verses, stopping all along the way to explain it and point out some foundational truths. It's going to do it a little bit differently than I normally do, so we're just going to kind of work through I'm going to kind of give you a commentary. On, on this passage. It's really hard in this passage to kind of break it down uh, kind of systematically. Okay, here's point number one. Here's point number two because there's so many points. I, I would have like 20 points maybe. All right, so we're not going to do that way. Instead, after we walk through that and explain the passage in its context, I'm going to come back and I'm going to point out three major implications or applications for us so that we would be those who live by faith so that God might be glorified in our life. So let's look here at verse two. Right? 
here's Habakkuk. Listen, he, here's a picture. He's listening. All right, God, I'm here. I'm ready. What do you have to say? So look what God says. And the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. The Lord tells Habakkuk to record what he's getting, to, getting ready to, to um, give him so that others can read it. All right? and, and what he's getting ready to tell him is really the, the, the destiny or the demise of evil and sin. He says, write it down all right, on these tablets so that other people can read it as well. And look, it says, the one who reads it may run. What in the world does that mean? Now, some people have looked at this in this way, that they, once they read it, they're going to run away from everything. I don't think this is the picture. Um, different translations kind of give you a little bit different flavor. But what this is talking about is a runner of a message, a herald. Someone who got the message, okay, write it down these tablets, and then so other people can take this message and take it to other people so they can hear the message that I have to say and answer the same question you're asking me, Habakkuk. And, and, and we see this, this idea of this herald and this one who, a messenger who brings good news. Also in Isaiah, um, when Isaiah is prophesying about the defeat of the Babylonians as well in Isaiah 52, 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who bring good, brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. This happened in a very similar time. And it's talking about the Babylonians, Isaiah is. And, he, and so here he's saying, take this, record it, so you can pass it on easily to other people so they can take it to everyone. This message. That's what uh, this, this, this per, the, the one who reads it uh, may run. Most people, um, when they read things, don't take off running, do they? But that's the picture here. You read, you hear, and you're running, it, and, and this person is to take it to other people. Uh, God says, basically, to back it, make sure this word is clear. Make it sure it's clear. Don't muddle it up. Make sure it's clear. Make it sure it's easy to get to other people. Now, verse 3. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Not only is God's word concerning the demise of evil clear, it's also sure. All right, now, the, the vision here that he's seeing, for, for this vision is yet appointed time, right? It hastens towards its goal. It's going to come for sure. Though it tarries, you better wait. It's going to come. It will come without delay. He says the same thing over and over four different times. What this vision and what the message I'm giving you, Habakkuk, is guaranteed to come true. Now, I think it has multiple levels of fulfillment. Here's what I mean by that. The first that this vision has to do for the now. The Babylonians are going to conquer Jerusalem. I'm telling you. That's what's going to happen. It's about 609 right now. Um, at B.C., when Habakkuk prophesies under the reign of Jehoiakim, and things are terrible in Judah, and guess what happens in history? After that, he writes this, in 605 B.C., guess who comes in? The Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar. And he takes a bunch of the leaders captive to Babylon. And then in 597, there's a, they come and take another wave captive from Jerusalem. And then in 586, because of continued rebellion of the, lead, the leaders that were left in Jerusalem, they come and destroy Jerusalem and the temple. 586 B.C. You can go look up in history books. That's what happens. And that's sure enough, that's at least part of the, the, the fulfillment of this prophecy. What I'm telling you, Habakkuk, this is really going to happen. And it did. History shows that. It also has a meaning in a not-too-distant future. Guess what's going to happen to the Babylonians? The, the Babylonians, we'll see this. Even in this passage, he kind of refers to this. The next empire that comes along is the Persian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire. And 
there's parts about how Babylon's going to fall. And sure enough, there's, that's fulfilled as well in, in, a, in a not too near distant future. And then it has a meaning for the end times when Jesus shall reign and his glory will fill the earth. And we'll see that here in a few minutes too. So it has an, kind of an immediate right here just in a few years and then not too long and then in the future. This is going to happen. That's why he tells him it's going to come. It's a sure word. I'm telling you, this is going to happen. Believe it. Trust it. It will, will not delay. And that's exactly what happened. Now look with me um, at verse 4. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Now there's a huge contrast in this passage. Anytime you see the word but in scripture, that means a big contrast. There's a contrast of what was said and what follows. Let's look at the first part of the phrase. As for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. Now in context, he's speaking about the Babylonians. They were the proud ones. We saw that earlier in chapter 1. They were puffed up with pride and their greatness and their power. They trusted in their own strength, thinking that they are conquering all the nations around them with no thought of God's sovereignty. They were in charge. They were sovereign. They trust in themselves, and God says this is what is wrong with their soul. God knows they are wicked, and they trust in themselves. Now look at the rest of verse 4. But the righteous, your translation may say the just, will live by his faith. Those who have been made right, those who have been justified. That's another way to say being made righteous or righteous. The the righteous will live by his faith. Um, They trust in God's character and his word. The proud, the Babylonians, they trust in themselves. But the righteous trust in God. This is the answer to Habakkuk's question. God just says, trust me. Trust me and allow your trust and your faith in me to impact the way you live in the midst of all this craziness going on, all the sin in Judah, in in, in the midst of me using an evil nation to bring about discipline on my people. Trust me and allow that trust or that faith in me and my word and my character to carry you through every single day. Trust me. That's his answer. So maybe your question this morning is, how does God allow evil, use evil in this world, how does he allow it to keep on happening? And his answer, and this may not be sufficient for you, he says, trust me. And when you know the character of God, it's not that, it's not that hard to trust him in the sense of, that's the answer. We've got to trust him. We're not God. Remember, we don't have the Google Earth to nth degree. We can't see everything. And yet sometimes we think we can. But we can't. But God can. And he's complete control, and we can trust him in the worst of times, just like he's calling Habakkuk. Hey, the righteous, they're not like the proud who trust in themselves. The righteous trust in me and in my knowledge and in my power and the fact that I reign and rule over all things, not the Babylonians as big and bad as they are. I reign, and you can trust in that. This verse is actually quoted three times in the New Testament. In Romans 1.1, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38, this is a, a foundational truth in the scripture people who have been made right those who are righteous or justified with god through faith in his messiah will live by faith they will trust god and his word that's evidence that they have been justified that they are righteous because they're the righteous of christ living in them living by faith results in faithfulness in the midst of the most difficult situations the righteous will not complain they won't fuss they won't turn their back on god no the righteous will live by faith that's what he's telling about it God tells Habakkuk, don't be like the Babylonians. Be like one 
who trust in me and trust in my word. Now we're going to come back to this a little bit later. But now look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, the first part of it, furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. One of the downfalls of the Babylonians was they were addicted to wine. They only, which only made them more prideful and this feeling of invincibility. Okay, people to take in alcohol lose control and many times, especially with men, now this is where you get the little man syndrome. And you see about these fights, these NFL guys are always fighting these little guys in the bar. What happened to the little guy in the bar? First of all, the, my opinion, the NFL guy shouldn't be in the bar. All right. Uh, some little guy from Texas A&M, tell him that too. Um, okay, from Texas A&M, some of you guys get that. That's okay if you don't. But they guys shouldn't be there anyway. But they do. And what happens, these little guys start drinking alcohol. And they feel a lot bigger than they really are. And they look for the biggest guy in the bar to fight. That's what happens with a lot of guys when it comes to taking an alcohol. The alcohol takes control, and they, have, they, they just become delusional is what happens. And that's the Babylonians. They had a problem with alcohol. And they became delusional even more. They were prideful enough, and that just made them more prideful. We can take on the world. Come on, bring it on. And they just kept drinking. That's their attitudes kept getting worse and worse and worse. And guess what it, what it says here? It says um, that the wine betrays the haughty man. The Babylonians' addiction to wine will betray them. They think, man, this is great. Wine's our buddy. Mm-mm. Guess what happens? Daniel 5, if, you, if we don't have time to turn there, but in Daniel 5, um, uh, Belshazzar, who was the leader of the Babylonians at that time, he's having this big wild party. All right? And they're actually using intentional, in, 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 uh, the utensils and cups they so, so, stole from um, Jerusalem that were using the temple to worship God. They were using them to take down their wine and just taking it down and taking it down. And as they're having this drunken, crazy party, as it's happening, and this is historical too, not in the Bible, also in history, guess what happens? Darius and the Persians come in and take over in the middle of their party. So their wine would betray them. Their drunkenness left them susceptible. The very thing they thought made them strong made them weak. And that's what God's saying. These Babylonians who are so proud and their pride gets bigger and bigger with alcohol, it just grows, it's going to betray them. And it does. History proves it out. Then it says, look at it in verse 5, he says, he enlarges his appetite like Sheol and he is... And he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. They're so prideful that they take what is not theirs. They take what's not theirs. They go, that's mine too. And that's mine too. And that country's mine too. And that country's, and that is mine too. And we'll see that as we continue to walk down through this passage. Now look at verse 6 with me. Um, and, and kind of down through verse 7 as well. We were not all... Will not all these take up taunt song against him, even mockery and insinuations against him? And and, and what he's talking about, all these nations they've taken captive, will they not stand up and taunt one day over the nation of Babylon and mock them and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his for how long and makes himself rich with loans? Will not your creditors rise up suddenly and those who collect from you awaken? Indeed, you will become plunder for them, Not only did they conquer people, they abused them and humiliated them and oppressed them with the loans that had high interest. 
You know, some say, and I think there's some truth to this, that God is even speaking to the Jewish nations who also misused loans. See, Jews, could, they, they could borrow from each other. They could loan money to someone else, but they could never charge interest. And you see this throughout the history of the nation of Israel. They started charging interest to their brothers. And God said, that's wrong. So not only did the Babylonians did that, but the Jews, in some ways, this is a, a condemnation even on the nation of Israel and, and to Judah. As Habakkuk's listening to this, he's saying, they're worse than we are. And God's saying, eh, are they? They're doing the exact same thing you are. They're evil too. Yes, and you are. You're evil and they're evil. They're, they're, they're suppressing people by using high interest loans that can never t- pay back. God tells Habakkuk, these people who have been oppressed and mistreated treated by the Babylonians will one day all these people will one day rise up against them the tables will turn and that's what he's that's what's happening so look at verse verse 8 because you have looted many nations all the remainder of the peoples will loot you because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land the town and all its inhabitants justice will prevail and the Babylonians will get a taste of their own medicine they will reap what they have sown and that you see that all through scripture not only when you see the new testament says reap what you sow but you see that principle all the way even from the early in the old testament those who deceive get deceived those who use power have someone who's a greater power overcome them those who lie are lied to it all comes back on you and that's what he's saying that's what's going to happen to babylonians the tables are going to turn they will reap what they have sown now look at verse nine woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to put his nest on high to be delivered from the hand of calamity. They used their gain they had acquired simply to build up their empire. And look at this picture. They use it to exalt themselves above all people and build an empire so high, eagle's nest. Think about an eagle's nest. Where does an eagle put their nest? You see these, these pictures on, uh, on maybe the animal planet or something like that. You see these, not pictures, but movies. And it's up in this little 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 section on a mountain that nobody could possibly get to and there's the eagle's nest perched up there where nobody can get and that's what the Babylonians that's a picture he wants to see the Babylonians they thought that they could build their empire so high and above everyone else no one could touch them so they thought but that's how arrogant they were look at verse 10 you have devised a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many peoples, so you're sinning against yourself. They ran over all others on their way to success and therefore con- continued or, or guaranteed their own ruin or downfall. Look, it says, so you're sinning against yourself or you forfeited your own life. Instead of building, listen to this, instead of building houses that they would enjoy and revel in, they were actually building their own tombs. That's how deceived they were. They're building this empire. They're building all these things for themselves. In reality, because of the deceitfulness and the wickedness and the evil in their heart, they were actually building their own tombs. They're going to die. Look at verse 11. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall and the rafter will answer it from the framework. Now, in Jewish law, it took two witnesses to condemn someone to die. Two witnesses, remember that. Two witnesses. We've got two witnesses right here. He's seeing these houses you've built for yourself, they're just extravagant. But you've built them on evil. You've built them on sin and wickedness. So the, the stone in the wall cries out to the rafter in the ceiling and says, this house is doomed 
because they built us on evil. And the rafter cries back out, you're exactly right, this house is doomed. And he shows this picture of the house even speaking against its owner because the owner is so wicked. Think about that. What a great picture. They've got two witnesses that condemn them of their evil. Well, look at verse 12. It summarizes their doom for acquiring these things by evil. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with violence. And then look at verse 13. Is is it not indeed from the Lord of hosts that peoples toil for fire and nations grow weary for nothing? Basically what he says, all your work to build this all this work that you're building, this kingdom that you put in, all this sweat, all this labor, you see that word? It's all in vain. It's all in vain. And it's going to go up in smoke. You've built it for fire, and one day it's all going to be ashes. Peter says that this whole earth is going to go up in smoke. Everything in this world, is, Peter says, is reserved for fire. Everything. So when you buy that nice car, just remember, put a tag on it that says reserved for fire. All right? You build your home, it's reserved for fire. You try to build your own empire, reserved for fire. And you can put all you have, all your talents, all your wisdom, all your power to build yourself up in this world, and it's all going to burn. If that's what you're building it for, that's what's going to happen. And he says it's, it's, it's in vain. It's in vain that they do this. They work and they labor and it's, it's worthless. And, and the Lord basically is saying, hey, Babylon, I see you. I see you. I see what you're doing. And I don't want to let you know it's not going to last. This is what happens to all kingdoms of the earth who build their empire for their own glory. They all fall. Yet there's a kingdom that will never end and will be all about the glory of God. And let me tell you, it's not Babylon, it's not Persia, it's not Rome, it's not France, it's not Germany, and it's not the United States of America. It's not. That's not the kingdom that's going to be built where God's glory will dwell forever and ever perfectly. Now, I love our country. But the truth is, our country is really about itself too like every country and empire in the history of the world. We've got some great things about our country, and I love it. Please don't hear me say and bashing our country. I'm loyal to the United States of America, but I'm way more loyal to the kingdom of God. And it's going to last forever. So look what he goes into. Right after he says, all this stuff you're building, all these empires, they're worthless. It's in vain. Now look at verse 14. I love this verse. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Here is the ultimate kingdom. It, look, it, it looks to the day when Jesus will reign over all the new heavens and the new earth. That's what it's talking about. His glory will fill the earth. It will overwhelm everything. That's this picture of the water that covers the sea. It just will cover everything. The knowledge of the glory of God. We're even promised that in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. It talks about that we won't have to learn anymore because the world will be filled with the knowledge of God. And his people will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. And that's what he's he's pointing to, that one day there'll be a kingdom that won't be about itself. It'll be about God and his glory. Well, now look at verse 15. Woe to you who make your neighbors drink, who mix in your venom even to make them drunk, so as to to look on their nakedness. Not only were the Babylonians drunks themselves, 
but they try to make other people intoxicated with wine. How they did this, I don't know exactly. No, did they hold them down, pour it in them? Did they, did they trick them into drinking or whatever it was? But the whole purpose of that is so they could humiliate people. People get drunk and they get stupid. That's just re- re- reality. They get drunk and they get stupid. That's why the Bible warns about drunkenness all over the place. And they do stupid things. And do things that often humiliate them. And that's somehow the Babylonians were doing this to people they were conquering. They were, they were poisoning them with wine so that as to look on their nakedness. Now notice what will happen to the Babylonians, it says, because of their humiliation of others in verse 16. You will be filled with disgrace rather than honor. Now you yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter disgrace will come upon your glory. God says, because you made others drunk and humiliated them, I will make you drink with the grief of my judgment and humiliate you. You've humiliated others. And the cup I've got is way worse than the cup you were given them. It's my judgment. And you will be humiliated, and that's exactly what happens when the Persians come in, when they're drinking in all their pride and glory, and takes them down, and Babylon fell like that. It was one of the quickest falls of the empire in the history of the world. Boom, like that. Because God brought judgment. And he used the Persians to bring judgment on this wicked nation of Babylon. Verse 17. For the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and the devastation of its beasts by which you terrified them because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town and all its inhabitants. Uh, the, the Lebanon on the north side of... Um, the nation of Israel uh, was known for its trees and was used to build many great things in, in, in the ancient world. Um, and the Babylonians, when they came through, like many conquering nations, they would just not, not only they would kill people and humiliate people and treat them evil, they would just mow down trees. And they would leave salt on the earth so nothing could grow again, just to show how tough they were. We're just going to leave this behind so everybody knows we've been through here and we own this land. First of all, how stupid is that? That's, how, that's what happens when you're so prideful. That's they would mow that, and they would just kill animals. It talks about the animals. They would just kill animals for no reason at all, just to slaughter all the animals for no reason. No, not for food, which God gives them for, just for fun. Kill all the animals. They were so wicked. You see, the, the Bible allows for the defense of borders, but never allows for countries taking other countries just to expand their power and and their lust for land. That's called imperialism. The Bible doesn't allow for imperialism ever. It does allow for just wars to defend your land, to defend your borders, but not what they're doing. Let's just see how much more we can get, how many more people we can kill, how wicked can we be. That's what's happened here. So in verse 18, God is going to get to the root of Babylon's problem of thinking that they can be wicked, so wicked, super evil and just run over others anytime they want. It's going to get to the root problem. Look what it says and we're going to read down through verses 18 uh, we'll read 18 and 19. What profit is the idol when its maker has carved it or an image, a teacher of falsehood? Just, just think about that. What profit is an idol when its maker has carved it? How silly is that? Hey, I'll make my God. Ooh, that's a really strong God, isn't it? And that's what's happening here. God's kind of mocking them. Or an image, a teacher of falsehood. For its maker trusts in his own handiwork when he fashions speechless idols. They can't even talk. 
Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, Awake, to a mute stone, Arise. And that is your teacher. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside. You make your own gods, he says. He's making them. He's mocking them for making these silly gods. Remember when Elijah, when he's, talk, he's, he's having this de- 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 kind of defending God against the prophets of Baal, and they've got a bunch of them. And they got all the, 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 their, their idols out there and all their false gods, and, and, and they start crying out, and they start cutting themselves. And God, come down and, and, and take our sacrifice. And, and they're just yelling. And, and, and Elijah's like, you might want to yell a little louder. Hey, yell louder. Cut yourself more. Jump up and down more. Do dances more. Maybe they're asleep. They can't hear you. And he's just mocking all, and that's what God's doing here to the Babylonians and all who have false gods. You make your own God. And they're powerless. They're lifeless. They're dead. And you think that these lifeless, powerless, dead things will give you power, will give you life. Are you kidding me? And Paul actually deals with this in Romans 1. Speaking of just humankind as a whole, for they exchange the truth of God for a lie and they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever the creature they worship things that they made things that god made all who put their trust in what they have created will come to ruin and that's the history of our world all these great empires in the history of our world they all ultimately worship themselves and they all fell every single one and if the lord doesn't come back in many many years this nation will fall too yeah, because it's not about the United States of America. It's about every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. It's about God redeeming a people from all those places, about his kingdom, not our kingdom. And I love our country. Let me say that again. Please don't send me an email. I'm an America hater. I love our country. It's a wonderful country, and there's some blessing of God upon our country. I believe that. But it's not his country in, in the sense of people bowing down and worshiping the Lord. Now look at the, the, the last part of verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. And look at this contrast. Look at that contrast. All these idols that you've made, they're lifeless. There's nothing to them. But the Lord is in his holy temple. In contrast to the dead idols, the word the Lord is alive and he is holy. Not profane. He alone deserves to be worshipped. Now look at that last part there, verse 20. Again, let the, let the earth be silent before him. What in the world does this mean? The Lord is in the holy temple. Let the earth be silent before him it means that the lord has presented his case even with witnesses and the accused is guilty and when the accused is guilty that's what happens there's silence there's nothing to say they're guilty Before the final judgment in Revelation, notice what it says in Revelation 8.1. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. The world is guilty. They have nothing to say in their defense. They have nothing to bring before God. It's, well, nope. It's left them silent. They're silent for about a half an hour in heaven before the final judgment. Guilty is charged. Notice again there in Habakkuk 2.20. Who is silent before the, earth, before the Lord? All the earth. So now, 
God lumps not just the Babylonians who were just representative. They were true. They were a real country and they were doing all this stuff. But they're just representative of all peoples of the earth who can be evil and wicked and make false gods and reject God and mow down people and all those other things that they were doing. Let all the earth be silent before him. Everyone is guilty. That's what he's saying. They're all guilty, Habakkuk. So why do you have such a hard time with me using this people to bring discipline on this people? Trust me. They're all guilty already. Trust me, Habakkuk. Trust me. The Lord alone reigns, and he is going to bring about the completion of his plan to rescue people from the penalty, of, the penalty power, and presence of sin from people from all over the world. That's what he's about. That's what's most important to God. That fulfilling his plan to redeem people, to rescue them from sin. Evil is doomed. That's the destiny of evil. Praise God. And he need, and Habakkuk needed to, to, to hear that. Remember, the word Habakkuk means, means hug, to embrace. He needed a hug. And we all need to be hugged. We need a hug from God to assure us what is the destiny of evil? It's doomed. And we can rest in that and we can trust God with that. In his timing. Wait for it. It, it may tarry a little bit, but it's going to come for sure. I want to invite you here to, 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 as we think about the, these principles in this passage just to look at three major uh, implications or applications for us so that we would live by faith for the glory of God. The first one, God's word is clear and sure, so take it to others. Remember back in the first part of our passage? His word is clear and it's sure. What he said is going to happen is going to happen. What he did in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring about a redemption for all who would believe has happened and is going to happen. And we want everybody to know about that. We want to be the runner. So yes, when you read this, run, not for fear. Well, so, some people may fear, but those who have been redeemed, those who know Christ, run to others to tell them about this wonderful news. Be people with, use your feet for glad tidings of great joy, which will be for all the people. Take it to the people. Secondly, as one who has been made righteous, live by faith. Because the righteous will live by faith. Look what it says in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm righteous because Christ lives in me now. He's transferred his righteousness to my account. The righteous will live by faith in the Son of God who loved him and gave himself up for him. We live by faith. We trust God. We look around our world, and our world is not good. There's a lot of terrible things in our world. There's a lot of terrible things in our community, in our country, in our state. But I just want to let you know that the righteous live by faith. And God's word is sure, and it's clear, and we can trust it. We can trust him. He has proven his character over and over. We can trust him, no matter what it is. Some of you are dealing with devastation in your own home. You can trust him. And know that he works all things together for good to them to love him and call according to his purpose. We can trust that. The righteous live by faith. Thirdly, understand the destiny of evil and live in light of it. Understand the destiny of evil and live in light of that. Now we look around, again, like I said, in our world there's some terrible evil going on. And what I see often is fear. Oh my gosh. They're going to take over our country. What are we going to do? 
and we're concentrating on all the evil. And man, God is probably up there. He doesn't even know what to do. He's wringing his hands. What am I going to do with all these evil people? Like he hadn't seen them before. And like we saw last week, he even uses them for his glory over and over again, still. And maybe some of the things that are happening in our world that are so evil, maybe they'll cause us to repent and turn and trust God more and live in light of the fact that the destiny of evil is doomed. We need to live like that, not in fear. Live, but live in the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ in the truth that he's coming again and one day he will make all things new. And it said here, as it says in here about Habakkuk, it says that for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and the, as the waters cover the sea. One day, one day, evil will be completely gone and all we'll have is the glory of God. How awesome is that? We need to live in light of that truth. Evil is doomed and God reigns. Good news. And my hope is this morning that you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, the one who saves you from the penalty of your sin. That you've turned from trusting in yourself. You know, I'll tell you, apart from God, apart from Christ, before we come to Christ, we're all like the Babylonians. We're proud. We're going to get it on our own power, on our own good works. We can make it. We just work hard enough, right? We, when we live in the United States, and that's a good thing about the United States, it works hard. But it ain't going to get to heaven. It's not going to make you right with God. We're Babylonians. So we got to quit being Babylonians. And we got to listen to what God says in Habakkuk. It says the just will live by faith. They'll place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and make them right with God. And my prayer is you'll do that if you haven't done that this morning. And the rest of us, by God's grace, we will live like that. So that he might be glorified. The righteous will live by faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this clear uh, word, this sure word, even to Habakkuk that is even for us today. Lord, I pray that we would live in light of these facts. We would, we would know that your word is clear and it's sure. We'd take it to others. Uh, Lord, that, that we would not be intimidated by evil, Lord. But we would know that it's doomed and we can rest in you and your word. And know, Lord, in the end we win. So, Lord, when those little pockets of evil uh, and wickedness spring up around us, difficulty, distress maybe even our own homes and our own life, Lord, remind us that the righteous will live by faith, that we can trust you, that you are working together for our good and for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.